dramatic <laughs> cigarette light. Yeah, they can't see that. No, but they can hear that I mean business. Okay. I mean business. <laughs> what kind of business? Serious business. What kind of serious business? Dangerous intrigue kind of business. All right. All right. Welcome to Goose Chase. <laughs> we are back and we are threatening and scary. We no. are nothing of the sort. <laughs> I am nothing of the sort. This is a show where we scare the shit out of you. <laughs> it's not. It's not. No, it's if not. If you were afraid that it was, please keep listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am seated across from a shivery blanky port. Mm-hmm. It's nice and chill down here and I like it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I am your I needed, co-host, Drugsy Baby. Needed America blanket. Um, we are we are off on episode eleven. Uh, this has become an ongoing thing on the dude cast. <laughs> I know, I love it. it uh, Chris can't handle when I say what episode it is, so if he's listening to this, he's probably gritting his teeth. <laughs> it's episode eleven. Eleven. <laughs> I don't know if he would mind it. On our show. It's just the show he's on that Maybe. annoys him. Hey, I went I all know. of yesterday's episode, didn't say anything, and he blew it out at the end. He wouldn't stop saying what episode it was. So, <laughs> alright, that's how it's gonna be. I see how it's gonna be. Eleven. So, <laughs> what do we want to talk about at the top of the episode? I know what I want to talk about. You got something? You got something? Yeah. Derb. Yesterday was my first derby practice. That's right, you derbed. I derbed. You not, derbed. Not with the best of them. Is he trying to lick the toilet again? I keep watching because he's in there. Come on, dog, well, get out of there. Get out of there. Don't be there. don't be eating that toilet. This stuff. is really good podcasting. <laughs> I don't, this is an insight into uh, our lives. So. so so you can picture it. We're sitting at a round table. I'm facing Dave and a wall. A very scenic wall. Mm-hmm. Has like a picture of a river, rushing river and woods. Yeah. And an insane mural in my basement. <laughs> it was just there when he moved in. And uh Dave is facing the other side of the basement with a good view of a nice crapper of the Pittsburgh toilet behind us. And Bo <laughs> likes to wander over there and try to lick it. Yeah. He's, I don't know what he's doing now. He's Let's... investigating my painting area now. Yeah. And the treadmill. <clears throat> oh, whatever. <laughs> Anyways, you derbed. You derbed, I derbed pretty, pretty good. Yeah. So I stopped by yesterday because I voted, and then I had like 40 minutes to kill before I, I was going to go derb. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to go home because I knew if I went home, I would not leave. Like, if yeah. I go home at the end of a day, it's just over. There's yeah, no, right. like, getting me to leave again. The minute so. you've gotten comfortable on a seat, it's like, ah, right. do I really want to do anything? And I was already, like, getting cold feet. And so I was like, no, I, I have to, like, stay somewhere neutral. Yeah. So I came over. I was on the show for a few minutes mm-hmm. before I had to leave. You were, um, our, you were our first segment guest. Mm-hmm. I uh, went to Derby. And it was super duper tough. I mean, I, I know it was going to be, but... Yeah, you had no illusions about the fact that this would be a right. difficult thing to do. But you never... It doesn't matter how much you prepare yourself for something that's going to be difficult. Mm-hmm. You never know exactly the way it's going to be difficult until you do it. Well, yeah. Especially when that thing specifically involves falling on your ass a bunch. Like, it's yeah. not an easy 
even as difficult things go, so, it's pretty tough. So far, they were teaching us a couple things. And I have an actual fresh meat instructor. Do they refer to themselves that way? Yeah, she's the fresh meat So you're, fre- you're freshy meaty port. Yeah, I'm fresh meat. <laughs> <laughs> um, as affectionately called in the derby world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I told you this part, but there is another fresh meat with me there's another person doing this with Mm. me and last night was her first night too the meeting of the meats yes (laughs) um so i was really happy that there was someone else going through it with me oh yeah i could kind of bond with someone over how tough it is sure um that helps and everyone was super nice the regular practice is going on at the same time so they're kind of like avoiding us as we wobble around on our skates but they taught us uh, the regular skating method, like the way you're supposed to skate, yeah, which is um, kind of like pushing off and lifting your foot actually up and then putting it back down and then doing the same with the opposite foot. Yeah, essentially like kind of like lunging, but with skates on. Yeah, and not super deep, <clears throat> just kind of like pushing to the side and then gracefully... Yeah. Doing that with the other. Yeah. Um, the the main mistake people make is they kind of like, obviously you're nervous and you do like a kind of shuffle, like a, a walking kind of shuffle and you yeah. don't really glide. Yeah. Um, and then the second kind of skating they tried to show us is um, sticky skating, which mm-hmm. is where you propel yourself forward, but you don't lift your skates at all. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is that when you're actually in a bout, when you're in the pack, it's more for like your blockers. Mm-hmm. You don't really want to lift up your skates because you don't want to trip yourself and everybody around you up. Sure. So you're more stable with both feet on the ground. Right. You're trying to maintain your pace, uh, maintain the pace of everybody else, and propel yourself forward without having to lift your skates a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that makes sense. It's a really important skill and one that has been very difficult for me so far. So I'm, I'm going to practice that. Yeah. Um, Honestly, it's, going skating just at a skate rink might not be a bad idea. I, I definitely want to do that. I want to get some extra practice in where I can. Yeah. Uh, it's my main concern with going anywhere mm-hmm. and skating was just that if I fall, I'm okay with falling, but if I fall, I have a really hard time getting back up again. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to be somewhere where there's nothing that I could hold on to to help me get back up uh, or no one around to help me. But I started to address that obstacle last night at practice, and they gave me some really good tips on how to get back up. and. Uh-huh. I feel like I was just kind of focusing on the wrong muscle groups on like where I should be putting the strength and it's yeah. been a little bit easier. I actually did it by myself once and I was really excited. I actually yelled, I did it! <laughs> in the face of my instructor. You- and we both like laughed gleefully for a second. But it was like this person who I just met an hour ago is super proud of me because <laughs> I did something I couldn't do at the beginning of practice. Yeah. I'd only been there for an hour. So That's pretty good improvement. Yeah. And just do that a number more times and you won't even think about it anymore. Perfect. Yeah. Perfecto. So I, I, I feel like I, I struggled a lot with the sticky 
skating. So I practice a lot more on that than um, the other person did, the other fresh meat. Uh, so she moved on. I think she was learning plow stops, which I kind of already know because um, I practice this a little bit on my own. But I, it, it, on the one hand, it's like, I want to do what you're doing. I want to be at the same pace, but you have to like focus on what you need work on. And it's nice that I, we were each getting a little bit of focus on our strengths and stuff like that and what we need to work on. So I, I was, <laughs> what are you doing? I'm just lip? pushing my lip around. I don't know why. I don't either. It's very distracting, <laughs> Mr. Rubber Face. Mm-hmm. But it, it was really good. It was really frustrating. I'm going to keep going. Actually, I'm going to go tomorrow after work. They're having a practice. Sweet. So I'm going to keep working on it, and I'll report back. And I think February, they do their drafting. I don't know if I'll really be up to par to actually be drafted onto either of the teams by then. But at one point, the trainer, I was like watching them do a practice bout. Yeah. And the trainer came by and was like, a year from now, you'll be in there. And it just... It made me smile and laugh a little bit and go, all right, yeah, like, I'm going to do it. That's nice. Mm, yeah. Goals. Yeah. Pretty good. Anything for you? No. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. No, honestly, I uh, I don't know. It's um, it's pretty, pretty, pretty chill week for me. I have this, like, I'm developing a kind of optimism that doesn't feel at all normal to me. <laughs> I'm not sure how to deal with it. Embrace it? Yeah, I guess. Just go with it? I don't know. Like, I've been, um, I don't know what it is, but just lately I've been feeling like maybe things, maybe things are not as bad as I think they are in the world (laughs) and in my own life and just everything. So, optimism doesn't come naturally to me. What? That's good. Yeah. It's not that it doesn't come naturally, but... <laughs> but just to be finding it, yeah, is, is a little odd. I know what you mean. Like, I, I have days at work. At work, for me, is the hardest place for me to be optimistic. Yeah. And for me, the days when I come home and think about the day and can't really remember anything outright negative... Yeah. I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. I guess it was a good day. Yeah. So I, I get what you're saying. It feels foreign, but yeah, just embrace that feeling. Um, Roll with it as long as you can. Yeah, it just doesn't feel natural at all to me. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It's been a good. It's been a good couple of days for me. I've been good. doing some cooking. I've been uh, kind of you know some some keeping my house in order, keeping my head focused, not drinking quite so much. Hmm. Well, a couple of you know, incremental improvements. Going yeah. to bed on time. Actually, uh, yesterday I was in a phenomenal mood mm-hmm. for the dude cast, uh, which was which was good because the week before I was in a good mood. We had a good time, but you know we you ate a bunch of tired. we ate a bunch of pasta beforehand, yeah. and we were all tired. Mm-hmm. And, I listened um, to that episode, and you guys are struggling. You're just like <laughs> keep talking about how full you are. <laughs> well, it's really hard to do an effective podcast with a belly full it. of pasta. I get it. Uh, it just like messed me up, but. But the other thing is I'm, I'm realizing that I think a lot of how I feel is directly tied to how much sleep I get, you mm-hmm. know, and whether I stay up too late and drink too much beer before the next morning and all this yeah. stuff. And, and so, I don't know, yesterday was a really good day. Today was a fairly good day, you know, good. and uh, feeling rested and feeling optimistic about the world. And 
Awesome. So that's good. <laughs> I don't know if anyone cares at all about that, but it's... last night I I knew I had a bunch of stuff that I I was like, okay, this is your day. This is everything you have to do. Mm-hmm. I knew I had to do laundry, and I obviously was I was going to vote after work, and then going to derby after that, and yeah. then I wanted to come home after derby and do laundry and take a shower and research. For the podcast, because the night before, I started doing research, and I got, like, a page worth of notes done, Mm -hmm. and then was like, I can't focus. (laughs) Like, I have to go to bed. It was, like, 1130 or something, and I was wiped. Yeah. Sometimes it's just like that. So, last night, I had so much on my plate, and I failed. I, like, (laughs) I did my laundry. Well, I put the laundry in the washer, sat down on my bed, laid down. And then felt myself drifting off, and I was like, no. Like, I was willing myself to, like, just go upstairs and take a shower at the very least and switch my laundry out. Yeah. I passed the fuck out. <laughs> I woke up at, like, 2 in the morning and was like, I haven't done anything. So I switched my laundry out, and I was like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And I'm going to come back down here, and I'm going to sleep more. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm still not going to do anything. I'm just going to wake up early, going to take my shower because I absolutely need one, mm-hmm. and I'll figure out the research <laughs> later. And so I yeah. I had to do it before we started the podcast. That's because okay. it just There was no way. But on, on the bright yeah. side, I tend towards being an insomniac, and if derby practice is going to wear me out enough consistently to get me to sleep like that, Not bad. it's an added benefit. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you what. I, I, Monday night, I went to, I laid down in bed at ten o'clock. I'm not kidding you. And I played a little game on my phone for a little bit, and then eventually went to bed closer to midnight. But I'm like going to bed regularly at two a.m. and then waking up at like, you know, eight yeah. or nine. That I, that it's can't stand. Good. I know for me, like for me. About six or seven hours of sleep is where I'm optimal. Mm-hmm. I don't really need eight hours. It's almost too much for me. Right. But I need a solid six or seven. Yeah. And I never give myself that. Like, I need eight. Yeah, I don't. Eight. I don't. If, if I'm good, like, health-wise, everything else is good, yeah. six or seven is perfect. If health-wise I'm off, then I will just, like, sleep forever and nothing feels good. I wish I could be, like, those maniacs that sleep two hours a night and, like, feel fine. Have you heard of the sleep method where you, like, you you take, like, tiny little naps throughout yeah, the day? Yeah, it's like micro naps. Yeah, you, like, train yourself to go directly into REM sleep. Yeah. And so you just take, like, you need far less sleep because you're getting the right kind of sleep. Yeah. But... Who has the kind of schedule that they could take like 20 micro naps a day? I don't know. Uh, not someone who works in retail. Well, the other thing is like I'm fairly certain a full REM cycle takes an hour and a half and there's like no budging on that. That's what I that's what I understood, which is why they have those alarm clocks that you tell it when you're going to bed mm-hmm. and it will wake you up at the at, at the end of a REM cycle in theory cuz it'll yeah. time it out. Um, but who knows? I guess everyone could be different. You can be one of these crazy freaks in nature that just... (laughs) I've heard that it's like a scientifically sound thing. Like, the science behind it makes sense. It's just not very practical. Yeah. But anyway, we've chatted about bullshit. We have chatted for 16 minutes. All right. 
Are you ready for some news? I'm ready for the news quiz. I'm ready to crush this one so <laughs> you're, good. You're really excited about it. That's uh, good. I, I'm always excited about this. <laughs> I'm ready for the news quiz. What what is we've done? Okay, so if this is our eleventh episode, then that would be like the six this is the sixth time I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to knock this out of the park. I'm trying to raise my forty <laughs> percent uh, success rate. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to bring it up to a 50% success rate. All right. I'm trying to climb the ladder of awesomeness. Okay, let's see if you do it. All right, let's <clears> see. <throat> what do we got? Oh, by the way, uh, for someone who's listening for the first time, Christy is going to present me with two false news stories and one true one. My job is to guess the true story, which I'm so going to do so uh-huh. awesomely. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. All right, first headline. All right. Dog DNA test determines rescue dog is a dingo. <laughs> but that can't be because it ate my baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. All right. Next. As apology to Hispanic fans, Justin Bieber writes song in Spanish, promises it doesn't contain the word burrito. <laughs> what? <laughs> So if you wrote this, this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there. I feel like there's backstory to this one. <clears throat> yeah, there simply must be. Well, there's that song Despacito. Okay. And the it's in Spanish. Does he rhyme Despacito with burrito? Well, he um, <laughs> he sings on that song, and insisted apparently in concert on singing it in Spanish. But did not learn the words. <laughs> and so there are several videos of him saying things like, blah, 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 despacito. Yeah. Like literally saying, blah, 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 blah despacito. Blah, blah. Or, I don't know the words, so I say Dorito. I don't know the words, so I say burrito. Oh. Like, this is on video. What an asshole. Yes. What a complete asshole, Justin yes. okay. Bieber. <laughs> okay. okay. Backstory accomplished. <laughs> Last one. Last one. Iceland bans American televangelists. Iceland bans American televangelist. Yes. Singular or plural? Plural. Like all American all televangelists. All American televangelists. Damn. That one's so that one's so vague it like it's like why? Other than the fact that it's probably the right thing to do. <laughs> All right, let's run through them again. Yeah, let's hear them again. Dog DNA test determines rescue dog is a dingo. A dingo. I may have my, eaten a baby. Ate my baby. As apology to Hispanic fans, Justin Bieber writes song in Spanish, promises it doesn't contain the word burrito. <laughs> Feels so real. <laughs> Iceland bans American televangelists. You really got me. You really got me on. The, you really got Dave, me in a tight spot I really here. got you now. Oh, okay. Uh, balls. Um, <laughs> that is not one of the options. Not enough. Balls is not an option. The Dave Dragowski story. <laughs> All right. Uh, I oh, shit. This is tricky. I'm gonna take a stab at this one. I'm thinking it's the televangelist story. I'm thinking that's it. Final answer. Fuck you. Yes! Yes! Okay, let's look at this article. 
50%. I'm so mad that you're getting better at 50%, this. 50%. That's I'm... a Youngstown A. <laughs> I'm getting worse. Okay. No, you're not getting worse. That one was just, it just lacked enough detail that I'm like. No, I mean, I'm getting worse at guessing and you're getting better. Oh, you're not getting worse. Uh, Reykjavik Island. Yeah. This island nation situated in the North Atlantic took a monumental leap forward by passing legislation banning American televangelists. I'd love to know why. The Icelandic Psychological Defense Act takes effect immediately. I love that it's called that. No American televangelist may set his or her foot in the small <laughs> nation of 330,000 souls. Wow. No programming by such people may be shown on Icelandic television or played on the radio. Wow. So the genesis of the Icelandic Psychological Defense Act, like most of the world, Iceland is watching the United States of America with growing concern. President Trump won the election in part by blowing demagogic dog whistles so loud, even racist German shepherds across the Atlantic could hear. <laughs> That's some good writing. What is, that's a very weird way to say yeah. that. <laughs> Many in Iceland wondered if he could have won without the support of conservative churches in their faith-based flocks, hoping for the biblical apocalypse. Uh. The answer is obvious. Prime Minister Andrew Kanner touted the IPDA while soaking in one of the many hot springs the country enjoys. Where did this article come from? <laughs> uh, Pathios. Okay. We in Iceland value our relationship with the United States of America. It is a great nation with a history they should be proud of. Currently, however, they seem to be off whatever medication their doctor prescribed for them. <laughs> Iceland wishes to support our friend in need in that spirit. We're sending teachers over there to educate and assist rural communities infected with ignorance and superstition. What we will not do is allow ourselves to be invaded by that ignorance and superstition, which is propagated by televangelists. Wow. The decision to ship vital resources to the United States is done with a heavy heart. Much-needed resources slated for sub-Saharan Africa must now be directed to the country with the most bloated military budget in the world. It's a waste. They're willfully ignorant. It doesn't matter how many math textbooks you give them, they have the Bible. Remarked one anonymous African politician. Wow. Icelandic and American conservative Christian relations soured ever since Iceland declared Christianity a public health threat. Wait, did this happen? This new action is causing American televangelists to declare a spiritual holy war against Iceland. Prayer groups are forming to pray bomb Iceland back into the Bronze Age. If they're successful, then it's expected that the country will become the 14th state of the Confederacy. This doesn't even sound real. But no, it sounds it very... It is. You, 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 you've cross-checked this, though. They're doing this? Um, Maybe I need to cross-check it better. I, the thing is, it's it doesn't seem implausible to me that they would ban televangelists from their let, nation. Let me try to find an independent source. The writing is it's the writing that's the writing me. is making me skeptical too. Um, let me let me look this up. Yeah, you want you want to take a little pause break? Yeah, let's take our break now. <laughs> it, it doesn't hurt to be skeptical even after the fact. So we are going to do a little bit of uh, checking here. Hold on one second. I am 
I'm so disappointed. <sighs> we got goofed. We got gotten. We got. It happens <laughs> to the best of us. <laughs> hey, but you know what? We we nipped it in the bud. Yeah. We're skeptical. We you know we applied our we applied the the only tool that human beings have to root out bullshit, <clears throat> which is the arched eyebrow and a little bit of research. I wanted it to be real. Yeah. I. You know what, though? It was good of our alarms to be going off. You know, I hadn't read through the article thoroughly enough. Yeah. And I should do better. No, that's um, all right. But Snopes we has... We all do it sometimes. Snopes has told us that it is not true. Um, the writing is really what tipped it off. There were a couple yeah. links in there. Uh, to the fact that it's satirical. Conceptually, um, though, it's it's I could certainly see something like that happening. Where it, it seemed very feasible to me. Yeah. Um, I didn't not exactly the way the article was claiming, but, but the facts I, as of the far thing as like not plausible. showing American televangelism. Yeah. On TV, there that made sense to me. Yeah. But um, you still win because that was the one that I thought was real. So you still guessed it. Uh, yeah, I'm willing to, I'm willing to, uh, to set that point aside. No, no, no. That's no. a sketchy point. No, no, no. You still earned it. Mm. Um, but even we, you know what? Though? Even we stumble. This is good actually, I think, for us to have done this exercise live on the show. Yeah. Because this is what we're it encouraging people. It was good people. that I fucked up. <laughs> no, it was. It's a lesson I actually for think, all of us. I really do think it was a good thing. Because <laughs> what we're encouraging people who listen to this show to do is to apply skepticism to everything. Be better than me. <laughs> no, no, be as good as you <laughs> to have stopped and gone, I smell bullshit. Yeah. And to take the time to correct yourself. So I think we actually just did a really good thing here. All right. You, you got to be proud of yourself, even because there's nothing wrong with being wrong. It's true. There's a great pleasure in being wrong because it means you get to be right after. I'm all about owning up to it. Sure. So in the in the spirit of the the nature of this show, we done got goofed on. We got goofed on. Pathios. Pathios. Looking the, at you. Wag of the finger, Pathios. But also, like, I might go to you to get some fake news headlines. <laughs> fake news. Fake news. Fake news. Oh, my God. Yeah. You, oh, well, that the, actually, that kind of segues into something I wanted to talk about for the middle segment. Middle segment? If we could. Um, uh-huh. <clears throat> this is the, something that affected me today. Something that I read that really kind of had a little impact on me. And I think it would make for good light reading for anybody who's kind of interested in the state of, you know, the world, America, blah, 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 you know, mm-hmm. politics, derp, derp. Mm-hmm. Um, so Politico, uh, around the time before last year's election, did a sort of an in-depth uh, uh, series of interviews. They went to Johnstown, Pennsylvania. I don't know if you know anything about Johnstown. I really did not. Um, I think geographically, it's at the southwest of Pennsylvania, more or less. Okay. Uh, It's um, so basically pretty far south of Pittsburgh, but, you know, there in the corner somewhere. Um, Mm -hmm. It's uh, a former steel town. It's a place a hell of a lot like Youngstown. Okay. Which is why I, I think I was so interested in this. And around the, the time of the election last year, they went and they talked to people about their thoughts on, you know, the election and, you know, the candidates and how they, you know, just basically got a sense for how the town felt. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a town that went 
the county in particular went really heavily pro-Trump, right? Mm -hmm. Which, again, is I think kind of reflective of the former industry of the town. You know, a place, again, not that different from Youngstown. Yeah. A place that used to have a lot and felt kind of left behind by the new economy, right? Mm -hmm. Um. And without saying too much about that article, basically they just went around canvas people, found a lot of support for the president, you know, uh, well, the, the to-be president, right? Uh, and the way that they talked about it um, was kind of in measured tones where it's like, okay, but, you know, we're holding him to these promises, right? We're holding him to these expectations. This is what we want to see actually happen. Mm -hmm. And they went back. This was published today. We got to go back. We got to go back. Go back, Marty. <laughs> uh, they went. They went back um, for a follow-up. Now, about a year later, and the reason I'm recommending this is just because I think it's a really interesting. It's a really interesting snapshot of the way that political attitudes develop, mm -hmm. or or sometimes don't develop. Uh, so they went when they went back. They interviewed, I think, about five or six people in the town. Mm -hmm. Some people they had seen, you know, uh, when they were there before, uh, some new faces. And the the basic question that the reporter went in with is, you know, okay, now how do you feel a yeah, year like, later? Are, are you happy? Yeah. Is do you this feel what you wanted? Do you feel that he's held up his end of the bargain? Yeah. Right. Um, basically just a, just a, a checkup, right? Mm hmm And I think it was pretty surprising that what the, what he found, what the takeaway was. Uh, I think he summed it up pretty well in one quote, which was, it's not that the people of Johnstown have moved the goalposts for the president. It's that they've removed the goalposts altogether. So what he found was unwavering support, despite... The fact that a lot of these people, when he was there last, were really counting on a lot of the promises made during the campaign, right? This reminds me of a psychological principle called the foot in the door. It's like a sales tactic. Yeah. The foot in the door tactic. You get someone to agree to something, yeah. no matter how small. Yeah. And because they did that, they feel it's very hard to say no to the next ask. Yeah. So they've already bought in by voting for him. Yeah. It would be really hard now to turn tail and back down and be like, I made a mistake. Yeah. Or I'm not really happy with where things are going. Yeah. It's easier to buy in and be like, no, nah, it's great. No, nah, I support the president. He's the president. I support him. Yeah. I think it's the reason that incumbents win so often mm -hmm. is that... You know, they won once, and that in and of itself is a confirmation of the fact that they should be there. Right. You know, the people collectively said yes once. Um, there was, it's it's really sad to read about Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Um, it's a lot like, it's a lot like Youngstown as well, and as far as the, the opioid epidemic. I was going to say drug problems. Overdoses. Um, you know, yeah, abandoned for, lots. For anyone we're reaching who isn't from this area, uh, Youngstown and this this general area, Ohio as a state. I mean, it's it's a big problem everywhere right now. But there is an opioid epidemic. Yeah, and uh, lots it's very of bad. lots of overdoses. Yeah. I mean, it it's it's very sad. It we need to find better ways to address it. And I yeah. we're. 
I know people are working on it, but we're not there, and it's it seems like it's getting worse every day. It does. And, and I mean, here's the other thing. Johnstown's a small town. It's smaller than Youngstown, if I mm-hmm. remember correctly. It's a small town. Um, 150 people, I think, overdosed last year. They're on track to do the same this year. Maybe it's 100. Um, it's like, for a small town, 100 people dying. It's a lot yeah. of people. I mean, did those people all, are those overdoses resulting in deaths? Yeah. No, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's 100. I mean, I don't know what the total number of overdoses are, but 100 people, maybe 150, I forget the exact figures. That's a lot of people for a small town. Yeah. Um, and despite that, despite the fact that many of Johnstown's problems have not changed, in fact, They've continued to get worse. The number of abandoned lots has gone up. They can't even afford to bulldoze them. So they have signs on the front of these homes like a big X just for the fire department to know if it catches fire, just let it burn. Yeah. <laughs> That's like the state that they're in. I mean, yeah, this place does sound really similar to Youngstown. It's very I mean, similar. We, we have had an arson epidemic in Youngstown mm-hmm. for similar reasons of yeah. just like abandoned houses houses getting foreclosed on banks aren't really held accountable so they don't keep the property up while there's no one in it Mm -hmm. especially in youngstown proper Mm -hmm. um houses are used for like squatters will live in them or um people will sell drugs out of them Mm -hmm. and it leads to blight in neighborhoods and the neighbors being very upset because now their neighborhood a, it's already Youngstown is not the safest, depending on where you're at. Yeah. And then even in some of the safer parts or areas that are a little better, when this thing starts to happen and there you have more and more abandoned buildings, it is not good. And yeah. so there have been people who have committed acts of arson mm-hmm. because it's easier than waiting for someone to do something the right way. Yeah. Yes. Um, my brother actually has a job where he works to address this and they kind of they they listen to neighbors who reach out and people in the community who say hey take a look at this place and see what can be done and they go out and check on their property and kind of make an assessment and go can something be done with this or are we just gonna get rid of it and and start new yeah and uh, remove it from the neighborhood to improve the neighborhood yeah um, so, so that's a, a really cool thing that he's been working on yeah. with his job. It's really great. It's something this area needs. It's it, important work. Yeah. And it's something that, like, hearing other places go through similar things, like, it, this is the kind of thing that's needed. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so many problems in towns like Youngstown, in cities like Youngstown. Yeah. Well, the, the 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 big takeaway, the reason I recommended this is just, I feel like it's worth a read for anyone wondering what their friends and neighbors and people, you know, in, in other places who, you know, might have supported a president that a lot of us didn't support, wondering what their attitudes might look a like now. A little bit now. of perspective. It's very interesting. I don't also think... Also maybe some insight into how they made that decision or why they would even make that decision in the first place. If you're yeah. having... A hard time relating, which I, yeah. I know I do. I think relating is very important. I think it's really, really important to not paint everyone with a broad brush mm-hmm. and to not 
see you know a vote for someone that you disagree with as strictly bigoted yeah uh, you know or... what i i just have the feeling so so many decisions can be made out of like desperation yeah sometimes even apathy of like hey, it's bad how is it gonna get worse but the thing is the thing is there's bigotry in there too that's of also course. also part of, of the mix course. this is why i say read this article is What's I, the name of the article again? It's, oh gosh, the actual title is something like, um, in Johnstown, you know, things haven't changed, uh, but they but they love their president anyway, or something like that. I can't remember, I cannot remember what it's titled, but it's at the it's the top of Politico right now, and okay. maybe for a little while. It's part of their Politico yeah, might, magazine. I might uh, have a read of that also. It's, I will say it was a little disheartening. But it's useful insight into the way that people double down. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's so, and a place as similar as this one, especially if you're from the Youngstown area, uh, and, have a look. And if you're not from the Youngstown area, have a read and, and understand where we're at. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, uh, it's a weird world. But like I said, I'm still feeling optimistic. Despite, yeah. despite reading what I think is a pretty depressing read, yeah, it's I'm still optimistic. You're so optimistic. I this is what I'm saying. I'm full. Of, I'm full of it. I'm full of the good. I'm full of something. I'm full of the good vibes. Good. Despite. One of us has to be. <laughs> At any given time, it's not going to be one me. of us has to be. <laughs> um, so let's talk about Trash Island. We're going to take a little break. Oh. <laughs> Hold on. So we're going to take a little break, and when we come back. We'll be discussing our main topic. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, stick around. note <laughs> we're going to get into our main topic would you like to say what we're gonna be I will tell you about? yes I will I will tell I will talk about what I prompted you with which is this is this may be a weird topic but I think that there's a lot of uh, a lot of like related stuff that you might find along your research that might be kind of interesting what I was thinking about was this this claim that and I think it's true I've seen pictures of it it's out there that there is and there's probably more than one uh, gigantic trash islands floating through our oceans uh, of like you know discarded stuff that has clumped together and formed these big moving just patches of trash and the idea of it fascinates me and kind of freaks me out I will tell you this much yeah it's true but it's different than you think okay yeah I've okay so what I've seen and what made me want to know more about this is like Pictures of, like, guys in diver suits sitting on the edge of a boat, and there's just garbage everywhere. Uh, and, like, like a guy going backwards into a pile of trash, um, which just freaked me out. So I wanted to know, tell me about the amount of waste that is floating in our, our oceans. Or perhaps, you know, more, you know, related stuff. I, I thought you might you know, find a lot of interesting material yes. here. So There's tell me all lot. about Trash Island and There's can I buy here. a condo there? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. 
so Trash Island, a.k.a. <coughs> the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, mm. or the Pacific Trash Vortex. Vortex? Mm-hmm. It all swirls together? Uh-huh. It was discovered between 1985 and 1988. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, I want to talk about water. Let's talk about water. I just want to discuss some terms real quick. Mm-hmm. So... I'm going to be discussing the water column a little bit. And this is a conceptual column of water. It ranges from the surface of water to the bottom sediments of a body of water. And it's kind of broken up into sections. And it's really used for environmental studies. Sure. um, To kind of just discuss the differences in the water between different levels. And they discuss things like pH, turbidity, temperature, salinity, total dissolved solids, pesticides, pathogens, the chemicals, and the biomes in the water. So this is if you were to take a snapshot of a body of water, what you'd find at each strata, sort of like geological strata. Exactly. Okay. Um, And then I want to talk about the five major oceanic gyres. Gyres? Yes. Gyre. So we have the North Pacific Gyre. Okay. What what, um, do, what is a gyre? Uh, it's basically it's it's just like uh, they've just broken up the bodies of water. It's just like a section. Oh, okay. Of the water, uh, it's classified by like the different currents that come into play and where it's located. Okay. Um, but it's like so, sort of like oceans, but not quite. It's like looking at them as big. Yeah. Big blobs. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, just big blobs. Okay. It's very accurate. So, um, the Northern Pacific Gyre is the one where I'm going to focus on. Okay. But there are five major oceanic gyres. Yeah. And the North Pacific Gyre is in the Northern Pacific Ocean. It covers most of the Northern Pacific Ocean. Mm -hmm. It's the largest ecosystem on Earth. Wow. It's located between the equator and 50 degrees north latitude. It's 20 million square kilometers. Wow. And its current is a clockwise circular pattern. It's fed by four ocean currents, the North Pacific Current to the north, mm-hmm. or from the north, the California Current from the east, the North Equatorial Current from the south, and the Kuroshio Current from the west. Okay. So these kind of... Um, I'll discuss in a little more detail how the currents come into play, but sure. uh, that has a lot to do with how Trash Island has come to be. Okay. Uh, So, Trash Island was discovered between 1985 and 1988. I'll talk in a little more detail of how it was discovered later. But it's characterized by exceptionally high concentrations of plastics, chemical sludge, and other debris that have been trapped by the currents of the North Pacific Gyre. Okay. Uh, Its low density prevents detection by satellite photography or casual passersby. Um, so it consists of small increase in small increase in suspended uh, particles in the upper water column. Okay. So when you think of those images of like big pieces of trash and debris, that's not really what Trash Island is. Gotcha. Um, that might happen sometimes. But that's actually kind of rare to see, like, large things. Okay. It's actually usually microscopic and not very noticeable, oh. even to people near the area. Okay. So, the discovery of Trash Island. 
I can imagine so, an Indiana Jones like expedition <laughs> out to the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Alaska based researchers yeah. measured um, Neustonic plastic in the North Pacific Ocean. Okay. And they discovered high concentrations of marine debris um, that accumulate because of those ocean currents. Okay. So extrapolating from their findings in the Sea of Japan, they hypothesized that similar conditions would occur in other parts of the Pacific where currents create more stable waters. Okay. And they hypothesized that one of these places would be the North Pacific Gyre. So they kind of started to go looking for it. Okay, so they just basically figured that this stuff would pool somewhere and they kind of mapped out where they thought it would be? Yeah, because of the... So they kind of scientifically deduce that because of the way the currents are, um, if they're going to pull somewhere, where would they pull? Okay. Um, and they thought the North Pacific gyre, so they did some tests and kind of confirmed that is, in fact, what's happening there. Science. Um, so they published a paper on that in 1988. It's by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, mm-hmm. of the United States. Okay. In 1999... Charles J. Moore uh, just finished the Trans-Pac, Trans-Pacific Sailing Race. He was returning home through the Pacific Gyre and claims to have passed enormous stretch of floating debris. Uh, He alerted oceanographer Curtis Ebbesmeyer, who later dubbed the region the Eastern Garbage Patch. (laughs) That's often featured in media reports as an example of marine pollution. Yeah. Uh, There is also a similar patch in the Atlantic Ocean called North Atlantic Garbage Patch. I love garbage patch. Yep. (laughs) Just like... Yeah, just the idea of like it's like it's like a field of potatoes or something uh-huh. like just harvesting garbage it's out a, here. It's a cabbage patch. It's yeah. just our garbage it patch. It's like cabbage ocean. patch. <laughs> I want some garbage patch babies. Yeah, you about some garbage patch kids. Yeah. Well, they already kind of have garbage pail kids. I guess it's about the same thing. <laughs> so let's discuss size. Okay, let's talk about it. How massive is this trash heap? Well, the size and distribution uh, is kind of unknown. It is large, but visible items aren't really common, Yeah, like I mentioned. So the size has to be determined by sampling. So oh. kind of testing the water and seeing if the, um, really what they're measuring is higher than normal degree of, um, like, debris and specifically plastics. Yeah. I wonder how many Coke cans is normal. <laughs> So they do this sampling, and the size determined by doing the sampling is somewhere between 700,000 square kilometers, which is 270,000 square miles for us Americans, which is approximately Texas. Wow. So between Texas to more than 15 million square kilometers, um, which is approximately uh, as high as 8% the size of the Pacific Ocean. That is a very large range. So it can be, they're hypothesizing that it's somewhere between that is how (laughs) big this actually is. Now the problem is that this is such a wide range, it's such a big estimate, because this patch is determined by higher than normal degree of concentration of this debris in the water, but there's not really a standard to differentiate between what's normal and what's elevated enough to be considered a part of the garbage patch. Yeah. No one's made a delineation like, well, if you've reached this specific amount, 
this is too much and it's now considered a part of this. It's, yeah, it's probably so, hard to say what is especially in the since, normal range for this. Especially since it's not something you can actually see. It's not like you're seeing garbage strewn throughout the water. Yeah, okay. It's mostly plastic particles. I wonder what I was looking at. <laughs> it, it could have been like something that happened, like an acute incident or something. Yeah, but yeah. that... I was surprised to learn, and I knew you'd be surprised to learn, that's not what the garbage patch is. It's, it's like not, not actually an island of garbage out in the ocean. So that's not normal to find just a huge amount of garbage all clustered together. I mean, you might find, obviously you're going to find like garbage in the ocean and bodies of water sometimes. Yeah. But what you normally find in these in this cluster, in this area, is... It's like really small particles of plastic and debris. Really small. I mean, they're a lot of times microscopic. Wow. Um, so let's talk about just some info about it. Okay, yeah, let's hear it. It's thought to have formed gradually. Um, ocean and marine pollutants were gathered by the currents. And the gyre's rotational pattern draws in waste material from across the North Pacific Ocean, including coastal waters off of North America and Japan. Yeah. Uh, there's no consensus on the exact origins of the what they call pelagic plastics, which basically just means, like, plastics in the water. Okay. <laughs> um, a 2014 study... They estimated that 60% of plastic marine debris is discarded fishing gear, like buoys, fishing lines, nets, things like that. 60%? Well, this study estimated that. See, that would, that that's actually kind of nice. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, when you think about it, if, if 60% of it is people deliberately put shit into the water... That's, yeah, that's a like bit... you lose a fishing line, you lose a fishing net, yeah. stuff like that. Um. Another study from 2011, it was an EPA report, they stated that the primary source of marine debris is uh, due to improper waste disposal, trash management, and manufacturing. Uh, Hmm. Basically, things like littering, illegal dumping, um, Hmm. improper, like, waste runoff kind of stuff, manufacturing procedures. Um, The main... From from land, you're going to have these kind of things, the plastics coming from marinas, ports, your rivers, harbors, docks, storm drains. And at sea, uh, your fishing vessels, stationary platforms, and cargo ships. Pollutants range in size from fishing nets to micro pellets that are used in abrasive cleaners. Have you heard of... I've this... heard a lot about these microbeads and how fish are eating them and getting ruined or something. Yeah, so... Those little, um, little beads think, you like in your soap so much, yeah, you know. Yeah, I think at one point Beth and Body Works was using them, and I don't think they use them anymore. No, yeah, they. they I think they're the one that publicly, like, made a big public statement of we're not going to use this anymore. It's basically, like, they were really, really tiny beads of, like, plastic. Yeah. And they're meant to, like, be abrasive to help yeah. you wash your hands. Yeah, I think a lot of people have seen they them don't, floating in their soap, probably. They don't break down. Now, I have since... Since hearing that, I got soap or was at someone's house using soap, and it had what looked like little beads in it. Yeah. But as I was washing my hand, they broke down. Right. So they started using something else that actually, it's abrasive, but it breaks up when you wash it. It's weird that they ever use plastic. 
It's strange. It's weird that I, anyone ever thought that was a good idea. What it specifically was made of. But yeah, it doesn't seem like a good idea. No, it's like, because that's all getting rinsed out. Like, you know that's going to get rinsed <laughs> down the drain and stay right. wherever it's going. Mm-hmm. So um, the, that just gives you a range of, like, the the kind of pollutants we deal with. Yeah. Especially in our waters. So the, the currents carry debris from the west coast of North America, and that could take about six years, and from the east coast of Asia in a year or less. To reach the middle? or To, to... to reach um, the Pacific Gyre. To wow. The, where it's pulling in from. I didn't realize it could take six years to make that journey. Mm. That's crazy. So in a 2017 study, so this is really current, University of California, Santa Barbara, and the University of Georgia uh, did some research and found that 9.1 billion tons of plastic uh, was produced since 1950. And of that, approximately 7 billion tons aren't in use anymore. So of that 7 billion tons, 9% was recycled, 12% was incinerated, and at least 5.5 billion tons of plastic. So where is it? It's in our landfills, and it's in our oceans. No shit. So I'm sure this is all, to some degree, estimations. Yeah. But that's 5.5 billion tons of plastic. Oh my god. Unaccounted for because it's it was thrown away or it was, you know, it's in the water. Can you even picture five and a half billion tons of anything like that? Right. So much. It's crazy. Wow. And then a recent Australian study focused on uh, the high rates of seafloor plastic pollution and uh-huh. I didn't really get any specifics on what they said, but it just the fact that it was highlighting the often overlooked aspect of pollution that we're discussing the fact that this top column of water all this pollution there but we're not even thinking of the fact that some of it has sunk to the bottom of the ocean there's pollution there too yeah we don't know to what extent or what degree or how much goes down to where these creepy little like really deep sea creatures that never see anything Mm -hmm. are eaten up and there's like weird like ancient life. They're turning into Godzillas. <laughs> yeah. There's <laughs> such strange biodiversity down that far. And we're introducing to them like it's it's like like what would it be like it'd be like uh, feeding a caveman an Oreo. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like hey hey millennia old thing, here's a pocket calculator. Like <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. how weird how weird is that? It's definitely strange to think about. Um, so let's talk about photo degradation. Let's. Uh, so one good thing that's come out of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch is the fact that it is a very concentrated area of things like plastic that have degraded. Yeah. So it's yeah. good for doing studies to figure out how plastic degrades. Oh, I didn't things even think like about that. that. Environmental impact research. Yeah. Because we we have a bunch of debris that's not going anywhere. Right. So we actually have a real-time study of like what happens to stuff like that right. when it's floating around. So photodegraded plastic disintegrates into smaller pieces. It remains a polymer. Uh, it doesn't it obviously doesn't biodegrade like other things <coughs> do. So it just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah. But it's still plastic. It's right. still a polymer. 
Um, it con as it breaks down, it concentrates the upper water column and becomes small enough to be ingested. Uh, most plastics decompose within a year of entering the water, and when they do this, they leach chemicals like uh, bisphenol A, PCBs, and polystyrene. Okay. So the effects, this leads into the next section of effects on human and marine life. Yeah. Um, some animals that are affected, obviously there could be a lot, but sea turtles and albatross <coughs> are often affected. What is, al what is an albatross? It's a bird. It's a bird? Mm-hmm. Albatross you know, is a bird. I've heard this used as a metaphor, like an albatross around your neck. Yeah. But I never understood. what I thought it was a fish, but that's probably albacore I'm thinking of. The albacore tuna. <laughs> and I never understood why you would have it around your neck. Are you about to Google this I'm, right I'm now? I'm looking, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking curious. up. I'm not trying to look up the song Albatross by Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> but why not, though? Well, because we don't have the rights to it. We did, you don't have a random dance party in the middle of this uh, podcast? <laughs> to Fleetwood Mac, has anyone ever had a random dance party to Fleetwood Mac? I don't know. That's a good question. This is what an albatross looks like. Oh. It's, it's, like, a, it's, it's like a stupid bird. pelican. Yeah, basically. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, now I know. Yes. I have to now get one around do. my neck sometime soon. See mm -hmm. how that feels. We'll work on it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Probably not good. Mm -hmm. um, so... The the Midway Atoll? Atoll? At, yeah, at, the Midway Atoll. That sounds, that sounds familiar <laughs> to me. I think from, from like World War II stuff, maybe. So there is a lot of debris in this area. And there are uh, 1.5 million Laysan albatross here. Okay. And One and a half million? Yeah, it's estimated that they all have plastic in their digestive system. It's estimated they all do? They all, like, at least the majority. <laughs> like, it would be impossible for them not to, basically, because their food source is in yeah. this area where there's a huge amount. Right. That must be a weird study, though, where they go, estimate how many, and they come back and they <laughs> all say... All of them. Not all of them. We estimate all uh, approximately 100%. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, a third of the albatross population, when they have chicks, a third of them die. And um, it's not that a big part of that is because they're fed plastic by their parents. Wow. Like, obviously, they're they're not trying to feed them plastic. Negligent birds. <laughs> but, I hope they go extinct. But their food source is so, it, so caught toxic. up in it that, yeah, it's just toxic. Um, so five tons of debris is fed to albatross chicks. I wrote down. <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> Um, I shouldn't be laughing. This is like horrible. horrifying. Um, also, floating debris absorbs organic pollutants from the seawater. And when fish and other animals eat them, mm -hmm. the endocrine system can mistake it as estradiol and can disrupt hormones. Um, these fish can be eaten by humans. So... yeah. And honestly, probably are somewhere. Right. Well, I mean, there's how much is done when when we're doing huge fishing expeditions and yeah. selling them to vendors and whatnot. How much scientifically is done to determine that they're not? Yeah, like is anyone measuring the BPA levels in a in a salmon or a tuna so, or a, a, a an albatross? 
<laughs> that we are we're that probably we're not eat, eating albatross. That we're but... probably eating. I mean, let's be honest. Looks delicious. I'm not eating albatross. <laughs> <laughs> so the United Nations Ocean Conference. Yeah. Uh, they said that oceans might contain more weight in plastics than fish by 2050. That's their, the way things are going. 2050, oceans could contain more weight in plastics than fish, according to United Nations Ocean Conference. That is such a staggering statistic. Yeah, that's that's crazy. There 2050 be... doesn't feel that far away. It's not that far away. It's, it's not. 40 years. We will probably be alive for it. Yeah. So oh. we we have big issues. And so here comes the controversy. Okay. It's with the term garbage patch and things like trash island. It misrepresents the problem and it's misleading. There's no yes. island of trash. It's not visible from space. It's more akin to a diffuse soup of plastic floating in the ocean. That's what yeah. um, a researcher said. Um, so... The important thing is to call for regulation and cleanup and to focus on stemming flow of plastic into the ocean from coastal sources. That's where we should be focusing. The media likes to use like the terms like garbage patch and stuff like that. Um, or trash island. And trash island. And obviously it's, it's important to talk about, but it is misleading and it kind of does a disservice yeah. by... Not allowing us to understand the true um, depth of the problem and what the problem really looks like. Because if you're just out in the ocean and you're like, "Uh, okay, everything's fine. You wouldn't even think about the fact that, no, like, this water could be very polluted. Yeah. And you could be contributing to a lot of pollution without even considering it. Just to use me as an example right now. I thought that there was just a whole bunch of garbage and that thought is a little bit dangerous because it suggests that, oh, we could just scoop it out. It's not hurting anything right. and it's not – and why haven't they just done that already? Yeah. That's we the impression I had. see the problem. Why hasn't it been taken care of? It is so much more scary that it's seeping into everything and that if you were to somehow be able to get it all in a sieve in 30 years, there might be more of it than fish. That's so scary. And that's that was the thought I had coming into this was like, okay, if there's really a trash island, then okay, just scoop it up. Just get it out of there. What are you doing? Scoot up dummies. I didn't understand how misleading that was and that it there's no trash island. There's no big heap of large debris. That's a real eye opener. Yeah. Um so that's basically all I have on actual Trash Island, but you did kind of ask me to talk about something else. Um, something specific? Yes. Which, when you when we thought Trash Island was actual, like, heaps of trash, it made a lot of sense to also discuss this. Yeah. It is a literal Trash Island. Oh, yes. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, this is a cool thing. I Yeah, you can tell, you can tell me what is, it is. This is really interesting. It's <laughs> actually it was named Spiral Island. Okay. Um, it's an artificial island uh, off of Mexico mm-hmm. made by a British artist named Richard Sawa. Uh, it was actually destroyed by Hurricane Emily in 2005, but he did build another one yeah. called Joyce Island. That's J-O-Y-X-E-E. As a replacement, and that's been open for tours since 2008. Yeah, this is probably what I saw. 
Possibly. But basically, Spiral Island, um, he filled nets with empty discarded plastic bottles as a support structure. And he used 250,000 bottles for a 66 by 54 foot structure. Mm-hmm. Um, this supported a structure of plywood and bamboo. He poured sand over that and he planted plants. Specifically, he planted some mangroves. They just, in the Wikipedia article, they felt they need to point out. So I thought I'd mention it was mangroves. Oh, everyone knows what those are. Um, (laughs) There, on this island, there was a two-story house, a solar oven, self-composting toilet, and three beaches. Mm. So, yeah. Got a toilet. Not too bad. For a beach island. Yeah, that's the thing is, when we were when we were talking about this, I I that's what I thought of is this guy living on an island who which is basically just plastic bottles holding up a fake island. Yeah, I which, mean that, that's really cool. Yeah, and he, he he can tow it in and out too. He he's got it anchored to the mainland, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. he can rope himself in and go to the grocery store, and then rope himself back out by pulling <laughs> away to the other side. That's it's really cool. That's Trash Island to me. That that oh is real Trash Island. That's actually what a Trash Island is. <laughs> yeah. It's a man-made island made of trash. Yes. Not what is actually referred to as Trash <laughs> Island, which is a like chemical soup of degraded plastics and other debris that is in our oceans. What a what a phenomenal amount of research that you did to enlighten me on this point. Everyone says that. But it's always mostly Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the thing is, this I feel like this is something people should know about, especially right. people who who have already heard of a trash island mm-hmm. and have the wrong idea. But basically, everyone should know this issue. The concentrations of plastic sound way scarier than I thought. And you know. We debated not doing this topic. It was one of the first topics on our list. Yeah. That you wanted me to talk about. And then as we were discussing, we didn't have an idea for a topic. As we were discussing what to do, you're like, "Eh, that might be boring. I don't know if you really want to talk about it. And we decided just to do it because we always find something interesting. If you go on a search for something... Go on a search for the topic, and you dig in a little deeper. We always find something to talk about. There's always something under the hood. And I knew that we would. And I'm really glad that we talked about it because it it just the the term is misleading and it disguises the real issue. Yeah. And we wouldn't have known. Right. Obviously, we know pollution is a problem. Obviously, we know things need to be done. Yeah. But we didn't know um, how complicated. It is yeah. to fix this kind of issue yeah. because we didn't really know what the issue was. It makes you think a lot about the ordinary consumption of plastic that happens in your everyday life. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it's not contributing to the oceans, even if your garbage is ending up somewhere like at a, like a dump in Youngstown or something like that. Well, that five, what was it? Yeah, five and a half billion tons? tons of plastic unaccounted for. Yeah. Between it, between the ocean and our landfills. That, which means a lot of that is sitting probably within miles of anyone listening, within miles of their home, seeping into their groundwater. Mm-hmm. This stuff has an impact. I mean, you see bottles with BPA-free on them and you go, I don't give a fuck. 
<laughs> it takes... <laughs> That's, you so know... the fact that it takes a year or less for plastic to start breaking down yeah um when it's in water so that's not that long before it starts bleaching chemicals and in sure like it could be bpa free that's great but there are other chemicals yeah especially when it starts breaking down to the degree that it does in um the pacific ocean and the other places where where it's sitting i didn't realize that happened yeah. Honestly, when I picture plastic sitting there, they always say, well, it doesn't degrade. So I go, okay, so it's just a bottle chilling out for a long time. I didn't realize it becomes yeah. this like microscopic Soup. concentration of plastic and that it's just in everything. Yeah, it's just smaller and smaller and smaller, but it still... It still stays plastic. It's plastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't really... To some extent, I knew that, but I didn't really think about it. Yeah. I think that's, in a lot of ways, what this show is really good for. I think so, too. I think every episode, I come away with knowing a little bit more. Yeah. And hopefully being a little bit more aware of yeah. my surroundings and a, a little better of a person for it. Um, for having learned what we've learned. Yeah. Like last episode, I, I got a history lesson I didn't expect and mm-hmm. it really affected me Yeah, affected uh, in a way me. I didn't expect it to. And I think I got the same thing out of this Yeah, of obviously not a history lesson, but I certainly got a lesson yeah. <laughs> on uh, what we're doing. It just makes me think about how much plastic... Like, I not generate, but basically by my demand for things, mm-hmm. I am generating plastic. Mm-hmm. By my demand for a pound of bacon, I'm I'm creating the plastic used to bring me that pound of bacon. It, we can be more thoughtful sometimes, maybe. Well, we can be more thoughtful about the types of products that we purchase and um, what we do with our waste. What mm-hmm. we do when we're done with things, of maybe trying to be more mindful of recycling, yeah, and reusing as much as we can, yeah. Um, finding purposes for plastic bags—it's not just throwing them away, yeah. Uh, things like that. Everyone can uh, jump on board and and do something more than what you're already doing. This seems I know very we definitely important. Can. But yeah, this this went a direction I wasn't expecting it to go <laughs> yeah. when I started looking into it. Yeah. Uh, so if you're out there and you've ever eaten an albatross, let us know what it tastes like. And also, is it around your neck? What's it, that like? Yeah, that? Who did that to you? <laughs> Why? Why? Are you in trouble? <laughs> Do you need some kind of help from an aid organization? <laughs> The International Society of People with Albatrosses Around Their Necks and Who Aren't Quite Fond of It, Really. We'll get a celebrity to endorse it. <laughs> that'll, that'll make it legit. We'll ignore the plastic in the ocean. <laughs> but we'll help you. Hi, I'm Patrick Duffy. And I've had this <laughs> albatross around my neck for the last 20 years. <laughs> and everyone seems to think it's weird and I do too. Won't you please help me? For just a dollar a day. <laughs> you can pay a small child to follow Patrick Duffy around <laughs> and just lift it a little bit so his neck gets a break. <laughs> oh. oh, That's weird as hell. 
So this has been Goose Chicks. <laughs> I guess. Um, I did real quickly want to mention something we haven't really mentioned or <coughs> asked for. Oh, okay. Um, was that? If you guys are listening, which if you hear this, you are. Right. <laughs> um, please review us on iTunes or Google Play yeah. or wherever you listen. It, it helps other people hear us. Everyone always says it. It's super true. It's one of the most, it's one of the biggest things you can do to help out a podcast that you like. Just leave a little review. Even even a not so great one. If you yeah. think we're kind of annoying, leave that too. A quick shout out to our friend Harry who did this. He told me a while ago that he uh, reviewed us on iTunes and gave us a good review and I really appreciate that he did that. Thank and you, we Harry. appreciate uh, anyone who decides to do the same. Yes. Uh, it really helps us out as far as finding just one more person who might be interested in listening to our show. So thank you very just, much for the we consideration. We want more weirdos yes. to bond with. <laughs> bring the weirdos to us. Yeah. It is a, it's, it's a little family of weirdos, I think. I think so. Uh, the, the people who've been listening so far are largely friends and family. Mm-hmm. And it warms the cockles of my heart never know what that expression um, means to know i like it because it kind of sounds dirty but yeah. it's not cockles cockles <laughs> um i it just makes me really happy yeah. to know that someone is enjoying this thing that i love doing well i know i'm enjoying it and i really enjoyed today's episode i'm glad thank you so much for i the liked research doing the research it was really hard simply because I do not sleeping like a normal person, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was very enlightening. Uh, So, thank you. It's been fun and devastating, guys. I Uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. It's not all doom and gloom, though. No, they're bringing back the McRib. Yeah, God, it's probably made of plastic. (laughs) Yeah, whatever the McRib is made from, you don't eat it. That's how we're gonna do it. We're just gonna. Take all of the water in this area. We're going to boil it down, get that plastic, and make it into McRibs and just poison ourselves instead of our water. Well, if the plastic's got to go somewhere, we may as well eat it. It might as well be our colon. Mm Mm-hmm. And on that note. On that note, thank you for listening. (laughs) We will see you next week with another episode of Goose Chase. Goose Chase. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to Goose Chase. We are Goose Chase Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. On Twitter, our handle is at GooseChasePod, and our website is www.GooseChasePodcast.com. If you have any topics you'd like us to research, please email us at GooseChasePodcast at gmail.com. Want to go on a goose chase? Yeah.